Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by beautiful Brandon Huffman. Brandon, how are you? Dave, I am living every father's dream of driving two hours away to go watch terrible club baseball, and that's how I'm spending my summer weekend. How about you? Hell yeah, buddy. Yeah, I was... uh... Driving my daughter to um, summer camp and back, uh, which took uh, about an hour off my life this morning. And then, uh, yeah, just going where the day takes me. Uh, Summers are horrible. Agreed? Uh, Agreed. And when you're in the football space with spring and summer events and you get one weekend off and then you spend it watching horrible club baseball, you realize, like, hey, I can't wait till football season starts. (laughs) Yeah. No, summers are awful. They, They, You know, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, summers are so great. I love playing. I never want to go back to school. No, we want you to go back to school immediately, yes. if not sooner. Oh, 100%. And you're, like, looking for loopholes. Like, I'm going to sign you up for this camp. I don't like that. I don't care. Dad likes it. You yes. Know what? I love you you want to know what I like about it? It's a long time. It takes yeah. you a long time. Five, five days a week. But I don't want to go to robotics camp. I don't care. You're going to robotics camp. You're going to all of the camps. Yeah, exactly. Bless their hearts. Well, uh, it's been a uh, it's been a tumultuous summer uh, for UCLA. Um, uh, th- they're going they're going to be a Big Ten school, Brandon. Well, you know, as we've long talked about the storied history of the Big Ten and a longtime Big Ten fan over here, uh, <laughs> living up here in Pac-10 country, or maybe it's Mountain West country. I'm not sure what what region of the. I think the. <laughs> I think the Mountain West just said that they're not taking the uh, the Pac-12 also ends. So. Okay, so yeah. Big Sky slash you know Pac-10 country. You know, all I know is I live in G6 country these days. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Um, so it's weird. It's weird. It's a weird new world. Um, I'm still coming to grips with it. I don't know. I still really don't know exactly how I feel about it. I'm certainly more negative about it now than I was a week ago, but that's more just kind of my natural, my natural, like I settle into negativity, you know, like some people's settled position is a little bit more positive or optimistic or rosy. My settled position, like once I get over like the immediate impact is always, yeah, it probably won't work out. Um, So, but this one I'm interested, Brandon, to talk today about, uh, what impact, if any, you've seen so far in the recruiting landscape from UCLA, and I guess to an extent USC, but I don't really give a shit about them, and neither do you. Uh, you have to. It's your job. It's not mine. Uh, but to what extent this has uh, this has impacted UCLA's uh, cachet on the recruiting trail? I mean, I gotta imagine that the phones inside the UCLA football offices have been charged nonstop with their phones blowing up and all the kids jumping on the bandwagon. No, they haven't been. Uh, <laughs> there, there might be one guy that they may get a commitment from in the near future. Um, you would have thought, like, I'm a big believer in, you know, strike while the iron's hot. I, I, I'm a big, big cliche hater, but this is one of those where, hey, the iron's hot. People are talking about UCLA. National pundits are talking about UCLA. Other fan bases, very angry that UCLA is going to the Big Ten and not them. As if, you know, UCLA basketball is not the gold standard of college hoops. So that's just like, you know, a throwaway. But a lot of really angry fans, like a lot of people just mad that UCLA is going. But people are talking about UCLA football. So 
what better time to start capitalizing on recruiting than the last week? And yet, Mary and offer has gone out. I realize we're in a dead period. I realize there's no on-campus unofficial visits that can happen or officials or camps. But, you know, if we're going to have marketing campaigns for the eight class eight or the golden ticket, why not do like a big ticket with the number one or something to strike while the iron's hot? It's just very peculiar yet rather on brand, I, I think, for the current regime. So when we last spoke, um, we were talking about uh, we actually had a sense of optimism. Do you remember? Do you remember those days I do. about UCLA's? Uh, Is that 2013? <laughs> it was like a month and a half ago. Um, oh right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> about uh, UCLA's uh, potential, recruiting-wise, uh, given that they were actually, you know, that was coming off the all those May official visits, a few commitments, Trey Edwards. We were like, hey, you know what? And since then. Um, I think they've gone over on like what is it like three or four straight offensive line uh, announcements. Um, they fell out of it for Collins, Achiampong. I don't know, man. Um, they they've gotten uh, they've gotten just devastated on tight end recruiting. Like it's gotten uh, really dire really quickly. Um, what happened? What was the phrase that John Wooden used to say? Don't mistake activity with achievement. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, so if you're active in May, you still have to achieve along with said activity. You know, you can bring guys to the campus for official visits, but you got to close them. You can't go over. And, you know, we, we talked about then how it was unique that you still started to get on board with spring official visits. Then the month of June, they didn't bring a freaking official visitor on campus whatsoever. You know, you offer, they didn't offer many players in the 2023 class in June, but the ones that they offered, they never made a push to bring them in for an official. Right. So, you know, yeah, it, it's it's baby steps that they're bringing in May official visitors, but you had the entire damn month of June to bring in officials, and you didn't. So why offer Caleb Lomu, who you could potentially get on for a visit in June. He only took three out of the four weekends. Why not bring him on campus? It, it, it just, it's like two steps forward, seven steps back. And just because you brought guys to campus in May, it's almost kind of a back asward strategy because if guys are coming on visits in May, they're almost certainly taking visits elsewhere in June. So now you're the first impression, but you're not the last impression. That means they, okay, yeah, you set a bar, but now the kid's, taking three or four other visits. You know, Simeone Pali, UCLA was the first of five official visits. All right, Elisha Jackie, I think they were the first of four official visits. Like, I get that they were proud of themselves for bringing in visitors in the spring, but you also have to be strategic in when you schedule those visits. And there was activity, but there wasn't any achievement. It was kind of like my academics as a kid. Yeah, yeah, you know, that that sounds um it actually sounds like uh so I I generally didn't do the achievement. Um well, we'll say okay, so in high school it was sort of like a lack of activity but like achievement because I could like just crush those standardized tests and stuff. But then once I got to college it was neither activity nor achievement. You know? Like you'd you'd prefer like I think if you're going to pick one, it would probably be activity because <laughs> Because you're going to, like, the process is eventually going to work itself out and you will achieve something, right? So I, I for UCLA's football recruiting, I mean, activity is certainly better than what they were doing, right? Like, we'll take activity. 
but now you got to learn how to like actually do the activities. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to like work hard and be one of those people who's studying and just highlighting every single line in the textbook. Did you ever, did you have friends like that in high school who would just highlight every single word and that's not helping you? I I have a child like that. You know, she's a smart kid and she got into uh, the Mountain West school to be University of Washington or Big Sky (laughs) or Pac-10 school. And, you know, kudos to her. She was like that. Whereas my son is a lot like me. It's like, why are you getting, you know, kids today are so screwed. Like we have computerized access to every single assignment. If I had been like that, I'd have been grounded my entire academic life. But like, yeah, it's totally unfair. Like he gets, you know, a 40 on a, on a math assignment and then he gets 107 on the test and he pulls off an A in class and it frustrates his sister that like she puts all this time and energy into studying. He puts no time and energy into studying and still gets great results on his test. Like, I can only imagine what he's going to be like in college, but that's the thing. Like, oh, yeah, the, 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 the 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 pigeons come home to roost in college. Like, you, I, see, I agree. Yeah, that, that's 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 where uh, that's where uh, your daughter's going to be in in great shape because she'll like iron things out. You know, Absolutely. oh, there's I'm going to refine this process. Your son's going to be like, I have to have a process. Yes. Yeah. The, the process to trust the process. There is no process to trust if you don't have one. But it, it's like. It's very similar to UCLA. You know, hey, they're still going to sign players, but it doesn't mean that they were active in the recruiting process. You know, they're, they're reverting to the transfer portal. Like, I get it. I understand going to the transfer portal for a few guys, but holy hell, like, recruit freaking high school players on occasion. It's not hard. It's actually pretty easy to do, you know, and I don't buy the whole NIL UCLA doesn't have the NIL money to compete. Well, yeah, they don't, but you can still get 25 guys that don't have an overinflated sense of their value and worth that still want to come play in Los Angeles. And that's the thing. Like, with the 2023 class, the, I don't think the Big Ten move makes a huge difference. It's like having a good season this fall. It's not going to really move the needle with the 2023 class. These guys are too far down the line. But with the 2024 class, that'll be the first class that signs that immediately goes into Big Ten play, you would have thought, hey, this would be a good group of guys to just immediately start offering all the top players in Southern California, all the top players in Arizona, all the top players in Northern California. I would have been offering within the a week of the news of you said going to the Big Ten 2024, I'd have offered 40 2024s. I don't even think they've offered 40 2023. So, you know, that whole strategy was optimism but like strike while the iron is hot you're going to eventually need recruits when you go into the big 10 and especially with the adjustment to the counters and all that like i just i don't know david it's covering recruiting for ucla football covering recruiting in general has taken on a vastly different role than it was when i first started but covering ucla football recruiting is a at times an exercise in futility. Well, and this is the, this is kind of the, you know, not devil's advocating, but it's kind of the issue is with them doing transfer portal recruiting to such a great extent, there is limited information or anything that you can glean about who they're targeting until like what March of next year. Right. Like it's until the kids show up on campus. Yeah. It's just, it's really difficult to, it, 
Well, okay, so I'll, I'll, I, this angle has been something that's been bothering me for a while about the way people treat college football, but it's a spectator sport. It is designed for fans, and treating a huge part of the offseason as this like closed box that you can't even really glean anything from takes away a lot of the enjoyment of the sport. Um, and look, the transfer portal is what it is, but so first, like my speculation is, all right, their offensive line class is projecting to be like, what, nothing, maybe a couple of guys, if they like really pivot hard and and go after some lower level guys, but it's not going to be big, which means they're going to need to get like, I don't know, two or three offensive linemen in the transfer portal, something like that. Right. I think when you come, yeah, I mean, if that, that's. You know, are those guys even good enough to play? Were they playing at their previous school? Well, that's the thing is if you look at the market, like what the market was this offseason and who actually UCLA ended up with, it's a a USC offensive lineman who played some for the Trojans, but then is coming in as what, a preferred walk-on, I think? Yep. Um, It's uh, uh, the the Jalen Jeffers from Oregon who, uh, you know, again, probably not a starting level guy. Is that the level of player you're going to end up with if you're trying to target more than, say, one offensive lineman in the portal? Um, and that's just one position group, but I think it's indicative because they need offensive linemen, and they haven't been able to land any, any of the top high school guys that they were targeting. And these are guys that they, you know, a month and a half ago, it looked like they had a decent enough chance with, um, well, and they weren't able to secure any of it. You're coming off a 2021 class where you sign, you know, Noah Pulali. Thomas Cole, and I think there was one, uh, Garrett DeGiorgio. So Garrett DeGiorgio's playing. They end up starting this year. Uh, Noah Pulai probably has a chance to play, but Thomas Cole isn't there at all in spring. In 2022, you sign only Sam Yoon. So you might end up in a situation with the way offensive line recruiting is going where their only offensive lineman you're really heavily in the mix for is Raymond Pulido, who may end up at UCLA, but may end up at Louisville. But let's just say, with for for the sake of the conversation, you could go into the 2023 season with maybe three high school offensive linemen, three you know three second and first year guys in your program, and you just cannot rely because again, if you're relying on transfer portal guys, there's usually a reason why the guy went into the portal, and if UCLA is going to be a poverty program from an NIL standpoint where they're losing players to the portal because of NIL, you're probably not getting an elite offensive lineman to come in. You know, your ceiling is a Paul Gratton. Maybe, maybe you get lucky and you get a Christophani Murray type who left the program as a two-year starter. Maybe you're lucky you get a guy that's a starter, but more often than not, guys go into the portal that, that because they're not playing. And if they go into the portal because they're playing, it's because of NIL money. So, two things kind of working against UCLA. So it's just, it, it, there's a strategy here that makes you wonder, like after you start striking out on guys then start going after other guys, like that's what other colleges do. Yeah. And that's, and that's where it's, um, you know, cause if you're looking at the projected depth chart, COVID rules are helping UCLA a little bit right now, because a lot of these guys don't project as NFL players. Um, and so like Duke Clemens, he's a senior this year, but he has another year. He's probably not going to go anywhere. I mean, maybe he could grad transfer somewhere and just play another year, but he's going to start at UCLA, so why leave? Um, They get another year, so there's enough time to band-aid over some things, but this class needed to have some high school guys because you need to have development with the offensive line. If you don't, then you're constantly in the position where you have to bring in a bunch of transfers. 
And if you're constantly in a position where you have to bring in a bunch of transfers, you have to do it almost every year. Yeah, they brought in Jalen Jeffers as a transfer. Um, and then what's the guy's name from USC? I, I'm, I'm blanking. Uh, Isn't it Liam Simmons? Liam Simmons, yeah. Um, but you bring in these guys, like, at, at best, developmental guys, but they're not, like, they're not guys you say, oh, they're going to sit for a year and then play. Those are the kind of high school guys they needed to get this cycle. The guys who have all essentially committed elsewhere, except for Raymond Polito. Um, and that's that's a dire situation because it's not so much really for twenty twenty. There we go, Liam Douglas. Right, not, the other one, the other one is uh, they've got two Liams. Yes, yes, he had two Liams. Liam Douglas is the one that's coming. Far far too many Liams. Let's just be honest. Far too many. Um, but the, the situation isn't actually so much for twenty twenty three though. It would help because they do they do have still the advantage of the COVID rules with some of the eligibility stuff. It's 2024, it could be a disaster. Um, and uh, and uh, frankly, 2023 will be bad, but 2024 would be an absolute disaster if they don't have some talent coming through the pipeline. It, again, th- this is where like other school strategies are when they miss out on a guy, they revert, they, uh, they pivot to another guy. They have a backup plan. Like I've, we see it a lot in the spring. A guy maybe has a few Mountain West offers, and then Pac-12 schools start filling up, and other Pac-12 schools are missing out, so they start offering that next year. That's the problem that UCLA finds themselves in with the, their current philosophy, is there never anything to pivot to. Like, they got lucky that Luke Duncan was so turned off by how Cal handled his recruitment that he was available to get a commitment from. But when Jaden Rashad and Dante Moore were basically no chance at all we're going to end up at UCLA, there's this two- to three-month period where UCLA just didn't really recruit a quarterback. Like, they had Luke Duncan come to camp. They went and saw Aiden Childs, but it was like, oh, well, you know, we want to see at the camp. Like, you can't not offer guys. You have to have a backup plan. And that's the whole thing. It, it's, it's one thing to lose guys. It's another thing to lose guys, and then you don't have anybody else on that second tier that you could pivot to. Like, you can't be arrogant enough, too. And I'm not saying the UCLA is arrogant. I'm saying that college coaches in general are arrogant. If you strike out on your first five offensive linemen, you better sure as hell have five more offensive linemen that are waiting for you or that you're waiting for them. You can't not offer it. We're going to wait till the fall to see if they emerge. Recruiting has changed so much. You cannot wait till the fall. There well, might be one or two guys, but that was their philosophy last year, and they still only had Sam Neen. Yeah, and this is where I don't want to be unfair to UCLA because they are, in some noticeable and obvious ways, getting a little bit better, right? They, they hosted the official business in May. Um, there has been, I would say, like, compared to the first couple years, much more activity when you're reading the stories. Like, they are staying in touch with guys more, and they're, they're you know, just being a generally more active. but I think at this point, it's almost unforgivable, the slow learning curve with just like the simple basics of how you offer guys, where you offer them, how it works, and the simple learning curve of what's working and what isn't. Um, yeah. Because the process, their recruiting process, I would say uh, from the jump was a categorical failure, and they've fixed a few areas of it. Um, you know, they're doing the early official visits. They're, you know, keeping in touch more. They're not being quite as aloof. 
Um, but the 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 I don't know the fundamental structure thing where they're just they're still basically doing golden tickets even if they're not calling them that. Um, it's it it was a failure in 2018 and it's been a failure since and they haven't adjusted away from it and it's just your your cachet is not Stanford's. Um, it just isn't. Stanford can get away with this. UCLA can't. It's been proven now. It's it's this is now law. Like it is now this is true. This is not speculation. This is not a hypothetical. We've done the experiment. The experiment returned a result. That result is now evident and they're still continuing with the experiment. It just yes. it boggles the mind at this point. It, it boggles the mind. It makes you scratch your head and it makes you wonder if there's any chance for salvaging. Like, are, are we so – I'm not going to compare this era to the Carl Durrell era. But I remember, you know, the Carl Durrell era had some real why, head-scratching. Why, why aren't you? Because Carl Durrell's era was so much better? Is that why? No, because Carl Durrell era didn't have the transfer portal to rely on. Fair enough. And, you know, those first couple of years, like, I started recruiting on bro Durrell's first year. And that was the, the, the era of the no-photo-available recruit. <laughs> then, you know, they had that magical 20, 2005 season where they won 10 games and their 2006 class was okay, but they got the bump in 2007, even though it was a smaller class with guys like Brian Price. And then their 2008 class was, you know, coming off of beating USC at the end of 2006, and looking like they were finally turning a corner, returning everybody. And then obviously the season went to, to the shitter in 2007, but like, in year six of Durrell, or did he get to year six? Year five of Durrell, recruiting finally started to really turn a corner. They had that sudden Saturday where, you know, Raheem Moore commits, Aton Jones commits, Jonathan Franklin commits, uh, Damian Holmes commits, guys that end up being cornerstones of, you know, UCLA over the next few years. In year five, we're not, we saw some tinkering of the recruiting strategy, but not enough coming off their best season under Chip Kelly, coming off, you know, a year where, you know, they look at they were finally turning a corner. And again, it, it seems like it's, again, two steps forward, seven steps back. Well, and this is where – Is this like, what they're – are they ever going to adjust it again? Or is it – it is what it is? Well, we just had one of the most massive sea changes in recruiting uh, ever, which was the introduction of NIL, right? The – and you would think to respond to that, especially if you're not going to be a huge player, is to massively, massively up your activity, like massively up your offers out, your communication. You have to outwork now all of that money that is flowing to different players if you're not going to be a major player in that game. And they haven't done that. And it's just, um, you know, I, I've 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 been pretty negative on it from the beginning, um, and so I, I I feel like I've been fairly consistent here. But it's just it it was it wasn't like oh wow this absolutely cannot work from the beginning. But even when we were talking about it, you know, when they were really starting to unveil the stuff for the 2019 class, we were just like, well, I mean, maybe it can work, but why? Why why do you why? What's the point of doing it this way at UCLA where you can you can recruit the normal way that everyone else recruits um, because you have access to the L.A. area. You have a, yeah. a you have a, an easy draw to Los Angeles like you've got 
you've got real things that you can recruit to. So why do it Stanford's way? Stanford does it that way because they have to. Uh, UCLA doesn't have to do that. Um, and it's just putting putting limitations on your own ability to recruit for um, for no reason. What, for what can only be described as esoteric reasons. Like you're just um, you're you're trying for a specific type of guy because you have a theory that it's going to work in a certain way. And whatever you thought it was then, why continue it now when you haven't had the result? I mean, even last year, those- yeah, but worked out so well. <laughs> like whatever your theory is, the theory's been shot to hell. Like, yeah, there were so many slate takes recruits that you got them on campus. They're like, shit, this guy can't play. Oh, you should go look in the portal and go back home to where we recruited you from. Like, I know this is going to sound sacrilegious because you know people look down on Cal football, and you know deservedly so at times. But like, Cal and UCLA are basically operating under a very similar playbook and yet cal brings in official visitors in june cal finds a way to get guys cal recruits a high school kid at a better level than ucla does so if cal can do it why can't ucla do it? like ucla painted itself into this corner yeah no it truly did yeah it truly did and it's um you know and it it's just i don't know it's it's just uh it's baffling to watch and um I mean, going forward, so when you're, like, looking at the – so right now, the high school class is five guys. Um, they've got commitments from, uh, most recently, Luke Duncan, the quarterback, running back Roger Robinson, uh, uh, linebacker Trey Edwards, receiver Grant Gray, uh, and uh, what will be a linebacker in Ty Lee. Um, all, you know, good commitments, the whole thing. But um, I guess my uh, my question is, at this point, with how things have kind of reset based on all the guys going elsewhere, how big is this high school class even going to be? Is it going to be 10 guys? Maybe. Maybe gets to 10 guys. You know, I think there's maybe three guys right now that you could say UCLA has a realistic chance at in this class, and then it's going to take a lot of offering, which I know they're kind of allergic to doing in the fall, to even get to 10. You know, maybe there's some guys that randomly think, okay, well, I don't want to play in the Mountain West or in the bootleg version of the Pac-12. Maybe I'll decommit and go play in the Big Ten. But, like, wouldn't that have already happened? While there is uncertainty with Oregon and Washington and other schools, or would they? are they going to wait until they know what conference? I, I don't see that happening. So they're at a point right now where, you know, best-case scenario is they land three more high school guys. But more realistically, they are not going to have a big class. And then it's going to be heavy in the portal. And now you're hoping that you can get 12 to 15 guys that are going to come into the portal, spend a year in the Pac-12 before they go to the Big Ten. Maybe some of those guys are playing more frequently. I just, I, you, it almost feels like there is this concession that it's portal or bust. We've offered the guys we've offered, and that's all we're going to offer. Let's turn our attention to 2024 without actually turning our attention to 2024. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's dire. It's it's a it's a definitely a worrying situation for UCLA to be in. Probably more so even than last year. It's going to be so hugely dependent on what they can acquire in the portal. Um, and that is, you know, I mean, what we were talking about last offseason is okay. They got one starting level offensive lineman in the portal, but they really could have used two. And they couldn't get him. 
Like they couldn't get that other guy. Um, they got their pass rushers. They got a linebacker, but we're counting a lot on Jacob Sykes turning out to be a, a an immediate impact defensive lineman um, up front. Because I saw Gary Smith this this spring, and I would say I don't know about that one. Um, yeah. So there's yeah, depth guy. Um, there's, uh, you know, you, you can't, you, I, I don't think you can count on getting the level of player you want in the portal every single year. And the more, the more you have to rely on it, um, the more likely there's a miss. I mean, I know the yep. misses are going to be less frequent in the portal. Like if you get a guy who's, you know, proven it at the college level, but the misses can also be, well, we wanted a impact offensive lineman, and instead we ended up with some backups. Um, and that's fine. You still need depth, but it's not um, exactly what you needed. I mean, even Raekwon O'Neal, we haven't seen him. Let's just right. I'll throw that out there. But this isn't – he's not Sean Ryan. He might not be Alec Anderson. Um, so it, that's, that's their headline offensive lineman they brought in. What's it going to be next offseason? Is it going to be um, Paul Gratton, who I think was, you know, probably one of the best offensive linemen transfers they've gotten? Or is it going to be, you know, Malcolm Bunch? You know, you, you just you don't know. Um, and so never go, full Bunch. never go full Malcolm Bunch. He was fine. I, I shouldn't even dog him, but he was not he was not what uh, exactly what they needed. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's a it's a situation that they're putting themselves in that is not. Again, just going back to the original argument, it's not necessary. You don't need to do this. Yes. But in the NIL world, I mean, I think they now have another excuse to not, um, you know, because they can use it the other way, which is, oh, we couldn't compete for these guys anyway because of NIL, which is, I think, um, to some extent true and to some extent BS. Um, because I think still, even in this NIL world, you're not seeing like just random, you know, low four-star offensive linemen getting six-figure deals at schools. Like, that's not right. that's not what's happening. Um, and if the choice is stay in L.A. and make whatever you can get in, like, basic endorsements, which still would probably amount to a few thousand bucks, or go somewhere else and make, I don't know, 30000 is it really worth it to move, like, and go all the way across the country? Maybe not, if they were being recruited hard and well. Um, so anyway, there's a, that's a, that's a long conversation that requires a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of thinking, um, a lot, but, of layers. a lot of layers, a lot of layers to it. It's like an onion. You gotta peel away that, that onion, you know, like Shrek. But Brandon, I, um, how do you, I, yeah, I think, well, go ahead. That's no, right. you, you go, you go. Honestly, I, I just think that again, I, I not to sound like I'm frustrated, angry. I'm not. I mean, I cover everybody's recruiting. I don't cover just UCLA recruiting. I cover Cal recruiting. I cover Stanford recruiting. I cover Oregon and Washington. I cover schools that recruit high school. Well, no, and and you are an impartial journalist with no connection to UCLA whatsoever. None whatsoever. I went to a game with the Rose Bowl once, and you know, I yeah, one time, lived, and and lived in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, 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 and and I don't think actually uh, that you've ever posted on a message board under anything other than Brandon Huffman. Never, never. There was never any monikers named after him. That's on nothing at all. None. Um, not a you, not a single one. So I don't I, I yeah, yeah. Obviously you don't need to to stress your bona fides here. We 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 understand. But having said that, covering recruiting is fun when you get to cover recruiting. Like it's fun to write official visit recaps, even if fans are all convinced they all say the same thing. 
They are. You know what's cool is when the schools you cover cover actually do high school recruiting and you can do official visits when 16 to 17 year olds still want to do interviews rather than talk to talk to transfers who now everything's a business decision so they don't ever tell you if they're looking at any schools and you have no idea who in the portal is going anywhere and he doesn't want to respond to you i mean it's fun covering high school recruiting like i do and it's funny there's you know a lot of schools in the college football that still cover high school recruits and offer high school recruits and bring in high school recruits on visits and i get to cover them so it's fun i think there's another school that you know that you that you have a connection to that should do that more often it'd be a lot more fun yeah no like mcconaughey said in days of confused be a lot cooler if you did be a lot cooler if you did um yeah that's totally right so uh Brandon, how are you feeling personally about uh, about? No, sorry, text message. Uh, how are you feeling personally about being a, uh, a, a you know covering covering um, yeah, being located? How about I say this in a state that no longer has major college football? You know, I, it's it's been a work in progress. I've gotten very familiar with Root Sports, which televises the Big Sky Game of the Week. So I get. Is that where Washington's headed? The Big Sky? No, I think they're headed to the Mountain West. So they'll be on CBS College Sports and (laughs) you know ESPNU. Now I think Washington and Oregon will be fine. I think, but what their definition of fine and what our definition of fine and what you know Fox and ESPN's definition of fine may be vastly different. I am very interested in seeing how it shakes out. The schools that I feel probably the, the worst for are the Washington states and Oregon states, that there is no obvious guarantee that those two schools are going to head to a, a sitting power five conference, you know, where obviously the, the, the four corner schools, if you will, they're all going to be fine. They're going to end up in a good situation, probably with the Big 12 as the you know worst case scenario. I think Cal and Stanford, I have no idea what's going to happen with either of those. I don't know that they're going to drop football, which I'm sure some people have hinted at. But, like, it's the Washington State and Oregon State that have good fan support, good fan base, you know, good communities. But now maybe without an island, those are the ones that I'm really interested in seeing how this shakes out for. Yeah, those seem like obvious, like, moves to the Mountain West if the Pac-10 actually does break up. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what uh, if the Pac-10 if the 10 remaining schools uh, stick together, because if they do, it's going to be kind of like the situation in the big 12. I think that's slightly worse um, just because the big 12 was not quite as dependent on Texas and Oklahoma's media money as the PAC 12 was on the LA media market. Um, But it's still going to be, you know, this is where like, I think there's a lot of hyperbole uh, because the PAC 10 without USC and UCLA is still not a group of five. Like it's still making quite a bit more money than, I don't know, uh, the American Sunbelt. Like it's still going to be making quite, it'll be making quite a bit more money than the Mountain West. Like the PAC 10, the reason you can talk about it as poaching Mountain West schools is because the PAC 10 is still going to have a $250 million media rights deal. Like it's still going to be a lot of money. It's just not going to be big 10 money. It's not going to be SEC money, Uh, but it'll still be like, you know, in that conversation with the Big 12 and the ACC, it's just going to be probably at the lower end of it. You know, the previous competition was, well, which one of these uh, conferences is number three? Now it'll be, well, the Pac-12 is probably fifth, but it's not like a super distant fifth. 
um, if they stick together. I still think, you know, now that the dust has settled a little bit, unless you can get into the Big Ten if you're Oregon and Washington, I think you just stick. And instead of being instead of uh, getting poached, direct Klyavkov to go get aggressive with the Big Ten, not necessarily to increase the like increase each uh, team's share, but just to kill the Big 12, like just yep. just absolutely annihilate it so that it no longer is a threat. Because um, I think you could have something where this eventually shakes out, where whichever one of the Pac-12 or the Big 12 survives then the ACC is still a thing because of their stupid grant of rights. And then it's the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, but I think there's still room for a West Coast Conference. And the more I've thought about it, I'm just like, UCLA and USC may, may, in the grand fullness of time, come to regret this. Um, sure. J- just this because be of the competition. Absolutely. This could be Nebraska moving to the Big Ten. Although I think in Nebraska's first two years in the Big Ten, they were in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, but this could be more like Maryland. Maryland leaves the ACC for a conference that's not their geographical footprint, and they've been mediocre in football to the point of being bad in football and very average in basketball, and they were good in the ACC. And, you know, Rutgers is still Rutgers. I mean, it's still the alma mater of Brian Doan. That's never going to change, and they're very average in everything. That's that's a, uh, that's a cross they have to bear forever. That's theirs. Yes, that's, that's their mark. That, the mark is on them. That's their scarlet letter. It's the Mark McCain. Like it's right. It's right there on their forehead. They're done. Exactly. Yeah, you you, you, you produced Lenders. you produced Brian Doan. You forced him on us. Right? Yeah. This no, you gave opinion. you gave birth to this. You know. Yeah. And now he slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Birth, birthplace of college football. Birthplace of Brian Doan. Either way, you have one good. You have one bad. Yeah. But like I, I could see. I I will say that I am from a college basketball standpoint. Let's be honest. Outside of the UCLA Arizona game, Pac-12 college basketball was not fun to watch. It, it just isn't. The Pac-12 it had, tournament it had gotten played, very rough. So bad. I mean, there's just never. No matter how much they try to make Vegas a vibe, like I would find myself there'd be an Oregon State Washington State Wednesday game in the 11 to 13 seed or whatever the heck conference. Whatever I don't even know the numbers. 10 to 10, 12. I'd go watch the Big Ten tournament. And go watch Illinois play against whoever, Indiana, Penn State. And like, there just seemed to be more energy in Chicago or Indianapolis or wherever the hell the Big Ten tournament was being played. Like, from a college hoop standpoint, it's going to be a grind. But how much more excited are you to watch UCLA, Indiana, UCLA, Illinois, UCLA, Purdue, UCLA, Ohio State, UCLA, Michigan State, UCLA, Michigan, than, well, pretty much UCLA against anybody not named Arizona? Yeah, that that is true. Pac-12 games have been um, more of a chore uh, than the non-conference in uh, recent years, and it's just because the Pac-12 has gotten so bad. Um, and one of the good programs, Oregon, is constantly changing over its entire roster, so you just mm-hmm. don't have any familiarity with it. You're just relatively convinced Dana Altman will have a good team by February. Um so, yeah, I mean, there's there's truth to that for basketball. Um, I mean, I still think it'll be weird. You don't have any learned history with these teams. So it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, it's UCLA, Indiana. Uh, OK, cool. Um, but it's not like they've played. For Steve Alford. Yeah, it's just who, who gets to compete for the affections of Steve Alford. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so basketball, I mean, it'll be fine. I mean, it'll be different. Road trips will be harder, but it's fine. Um, football though, football is the one that 
that trips me up because when I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, I, I made this point on the POC this week, but like I have like vivid memories of specific games against specific Pac-12 opponents, you know, like, oh, there was that Washington State game. Oh, there was that Oregon State game. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that Cal game? Um, and there's not going to be that anymore. And instead it's going to be, oh, yeah, they're playing Indiana or they're playing uh, Rutgers. And OK, but it's going to be a regular thing, but not that regular because it's a 16 team conference and you're only going to play them like once every three years. And it's just it, it's going to feel or at least it, it the way I think it's going to feel is very mercenary, very um, not tied to sentiment or emotion. You it's not going to be tied to any of your shared history, any of your learned history of, of you know, watching your team against these schools because there is none. Um, and so that's that's the disappointing part for me is that it's doing away with a lot of the stuff that made, um, you know, uh, that formed a lot of my college football, you know, feelings and um, memories are just, you know, it's going to be gone uh, because yeah. they're they're It's not like UCLA is going to schedule a yearly uh, game against Cal or Stanford or God, what's another one where they've had a lot of history? You know, Washington. Uh, it's, they're not yeah. going to have those games. It's just going to be USC. And then it's going to be eight or seven conference opponents uh, with whom they have very limited history, if any. And most of that history coming from uh, when UCLA was good 40 years ago and actually regularly went to Rose Bowls. Exactly. And, you're, you, you know, you might get uh, the first few years. Illinois fans might travel in droves. Iowa fans might travel in droves. But even that novelty will end up wearing off for those schools. The one thing I do find comical is I'm not saying that the entire Pac-12 is full of horrible weather, but everybody keeps saying, oh, you is going to have a hard time. Like, people don't forget or people don't remember that, you know, Pullman in the middle of November sucks balls. All right. Colorado in the middle of November is booty. Utah in the middle of November is horrible. UCLA still plays in cold weather places during the year. Usually they aren't very good because they're just not good on the road in general, but they act like UCLA has never seen, you know, terrible weather or snow on the ground. Like there are still some Pac-12 schools where the weather is, you know, not formidable in October or November. So it's not like the first time they, plus, I mean, who could forget the, I think it was called the Eagle something bowl in Washington, D.C.'s famed RFK when it was like 18 degrees and UCLA beat, you know, former UCLA coaching candidate Al Golden and Temple Owls, like, hey, oh yeah, UCLA can play in cold weather, folks. Yeah, no, the, the, they're out of play good. The cold weather argument, I think, is is kind of nonsense. Um, my my big issue is the distance, because if you if you look at it, so Pullman is the farthest you go in the current mm-hmm. Pac-12. It's 1100 miles. That's a distance. The closest Big Ten school, aside from USC, (laughs) Big Ten USC, uh, is Nebraska, and it's 1,500 miles. Um, And if you get into the heart of the Big Ten, it's well over 2,000 miles. I mean, it is a haul to get out there. And some of these are podunk little towns that are hard to fly into. Um, It's not going to be fun. Like, there's going to be some real challenges for the team that go into the competition. Like, they're going to be losses, um, you know, more losses because of that. And I think for UCLA, whatever. I mean, uh, not to not to denigrate the hopes and dreams, but if they continue a pace with what they're doing, all it means is 
Uh, instead of being, you know, on average six and six over the last 20 years, maybe it's five and seven. Um, now, obviously, if they if they ever get the coaching and recruiting thing right, they could massively improve that. But, you know, they're not it won't be that significant difference. Mediocre and mediocre for USC. I don't think anyone is doing the math on this very well because they have dreams and aspirations of being a national title contending program it would have been a hell of a lot easier in the Pac-12 than it's going to be in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Just going to tell you that. Um, anyway, we got to wrap this up because I got to go do some more chauffeuring of small children. Brandon, I'm sure, has to as well. For Brandon, beautiful Huffman, I'm David Woods. We're in a port online, and we'll talk to you again next time.